Mike, are you, you tweeting? I'm tweeting. Twitter. Alright, I tweeted. Alright, let's do it. <clears throat> what did you say? Before we get to the podcast, I have a very special announcement. Today, we're partnering with Anchor.fm, our podcast hosting service, to help them launch a new feature called Listener Support. Listener support is a great way for audience members to help support their favorite podcasts. If you like our podcast and have some money to give, just go to our anchor.fm page at anchor.fm slash admissions uncovered. There you'll be prompted to donate monthly denominations of 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99. It's super easy and it's super simple. Just go to our anchor page at anchor.fm slash admissions uncovered and a pop-up will be there to help you through the process. Thanks so much for your support. Thanks so much for listening. And here's the show. Welcome back to the Admissions Uncovered podcast with me, Ni, and your other hosts, Michael and Dominic. In this podcast, we will give advice to incoming juniors based on personal experiences and what we would do differently. So I'm going to start us off with the first piece of advice. I think that an important thing for junior year is that you shouldn't try to take too many APs or difficult classes and you should do your best to have um, a balanced schedule to make sure that you have time to do other things. I think it's right to have a balanced schedule, but I will say that it's important to have a rigorous class schedule. And you shouldn't be chickening out at an AP. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be you know, like, oh, I'm too lazy. I'm not going to take another AP. Don't don't do that. Just make sure th- there's a difference between having a balanced schedule and being lazy is, I guess, my point. Yep, I agree. I think that especially what your school is able to provide to the students. So if an admissions officer knows that your students can take eight APs and you chose to take three, it definitely shows that you weren't as motivated and into your studies. And that's what schools are really looking for. They're looking for kids who want to get the education. They're not looking for kids who only go to school and then they come home and then they don't care about school. They want kids that are always pursuing more education. So if you're taking rigorous classes, that is one great way to show an admissions officer that you are challenging yourself and that you do want to go to that school. And it's going to show up on your transcript as well. And then even besides that, it's definitely a good GPA booster. Absolutely. Uh, because, I mean, on a 4.0 versus a 5.0 scale, your 100 in the regular class is the same as the 90 in the AP class, right? So most classes like that aren't going to have that 10-point difference just because it's an AP class. For example, our pre-AP chemistry and then AP chemistry, like there, sh- there just shouldn't be a 10-point a difference there. And that's with all classes. I mean, I don't think there is an AP class that just because it's AP, it's you know, more than 10 points harder to get a good grade in. And one suggestion I would make as someone who's taken a lot of AP classes is that you shouldn't think of school and extracurricular activities as completely separate. I think there are definitely things you learn in class that you can use in your extracurriculars. Like if you're a STEM major and you have a science club, I think the stuff you learn in science AP classes can be super useful. If you're a history guy and you have a history club, you're taking a history class. Use that type of knowledge. And here's a thing for all of you people who are interested in poli-sci. Things like statistics and history can really be well integrated into maybe um, a monthly publication where you analyze elections using statistics. So I caution people into thinking APs are just over here in the school corner and extracurricular activities are here in the outside of school corner. Be able to leverage school for extracurriculars and leverage extracurricular activities for school use too. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of classes, we do have a couple other uh, pointers that we would like to add. So one thing that I think is important when picking out a junior schedule or any schedule for that matter is to seek out some people in your school that have just graduated the degree that you'll be entering. So they just came out of that class, you know, talking to somebody that was in there a couple years ago, the course might've changed, but it generally doesn't change much in a one year's time. So if you go around, first of all, I would say to ask multiple people, if you're trying to learn about courses, because you know, if you ask me and I who had very similar schedules last year about classes, I mean, we're going to have very different opinions about them. Mm-hmm. So make sure you ask a lot of people, And then also make sure you ask people who you think are like you in their class because they're going to have the best outlook on that class that would be similar to yours. But I think that asking people who are rising to the next grade 
that's going to be a great resource to learn about classes and which ones to take and how hard they are and what you should know about the class. And they're just going to have a lot of information that only the teacher would have otherwise. Also, kind of looking back on my junior classes, uh, like I said earlier, it was really good for GPAs, for my GPA, because I did have eight APs with my eight courses. It was it really boosted the GPA, which was nice. But when it came time to study for the AP, that was really the first time that I felt the effect of having AP classes, especially at my school. And I know at Michael's as well, most of the classes are APs mm -hmm. when you get in the higher levels. So there really is no choice to take another class. It'd really just be taking electives like theater or art. And even art, you know, has APs. So at that point, <clears throat> you're probably going to have a lot of AP classes. I didn't think that it added a whole bunch to my course load as far as studying and homework, but I did really feel it when it came time to study for APs. I know freshman year I took one AP and sophomore year I took three, and then I came in to have eight APs in 10 days, and that was just a lot to study for, and it's something that I hadn't done before. So I didn't really uh, manage my time well. So that takes me to my next point. If you know that you're going to have a lot of APs or just APs in general, make sure you spread out your studying. It's just going to make your life a lot easier when it comes to AP time. And then also I would say in those AP classes, if you stay on top of the coursework, it's going to make the AP so much easier because you will already remember a lot of this stuff. A lot of people will come back from winter break or spring break and they'll just kind of, you know, give up on doing that extra studying or studying for tests and they'll just kind of coast by. But they're not learning the things that they need to learn for the AP, which they're going to have to learn later anyway. So if you learn it during the year when you can manage your time, like I said, it was pretty manageable, it's going to make studying for APs a lot easier. And then finally, although junior year is really when the grade crunch happens, and a lot of schools know this and know that younger kids aren't that into caring about the grades, like Stanford, how they don't consider the uh, freshman year grades. But I think that I started really caring. I'd always cared about grades, but I really started caring about it for the scope of class rank and the GPA in my junior year. And I mean, my G my GPA is fine for college, but I think that if I cared about it earlier on in high school, it would have been slightly better, which would have helped out with some things. But that's just another piece of advice for our younger audience readers out there. And I feel like a lot of what me and Dominic said had to do with not being able to balance your time, whether that's between school and extracurriculars, whether that's between studying during the year and studying during the three-week you know, type of AP season time. And so my thought on that is just that there is so much wasted time in the day, and I think you'd be surprised what happens when you're really, really busy. And I think you'll be surprised at how much you're able to achieve. I always think that when you have more work, you're all just going to complete it in the same amount of time as you would if you had less work. Because when you have less work, you're, that time expands. The time you're going to take to do that less work is going to expand to fill the time you give it because you're more relaxed. You're not as focused. You're on your phone texting. You're getting snacks every 10 minutes or whatever the case may be. So, you know, my top level piece of advice is just to be willing to try to put more on yourself just because I think you'll be surprised about your ability to be efficient under pressure. And so to that regard, I have two tips for you guys, just productivity tips in general for people of any grade, not just people becoming juniors. So one thing uh, that I mentioned before is that there's a lot of wasted time in the day and you want to track that to determine how much of your day is being wasted. And so there's this thing called time tracking, which if you're on the computer a lot, will track what applications you use and some applications will even track what web pages you use and how long you spend on them. And so there's going to be an article in the show notes down below with a link to a whole bunch of time tracking apps on Windows and the Mac. Um, there are a few of them that I've looked into. Toggly is one that's paid, but I'm currently trying out Hubstaff, uh, which is free for the solo user. Only started using it a few days ago. I'll let you guys know how it goes. But I think this time tracking is going to let you see how much time you waste or how you use your time. And you can tailor your schedule accordingly. So if you see you're spending a lot of time on Twitter, well, maybe you can take on the extra responsibility or the extra AP class. And one recommendation I have to learn about time tracking is Cortex. It's a productivity podcast by CGB Gray and Mike Hurley on the Relay FM network. Great show, and the show notes down below is going to be a podcast specifically talking about time tracking. But what do you guys think about time tracking? Is that something you do? Uh, do you think I'm crazy for doing it? I know it's kind of uh, type A. So I know that 
not only on computers, but also on phones. There's plenty of apps that'll do this for you. For sure. And I'm pretty sure in your settings, you can just kind of see what you spend the most time on in the past 24 hours. But there are a ton of apps out there, just like there are for the computer, that will track how much time you spent on apps over the past week or whatever, or month, so that you can really, you know, get a sense of how much time you're wasting. Because I know I spend a lot of time on my phone, especially during the school day and on the train oh, yeah. coming uh, oh, for sure. to and from school. Oh, for sure. That could definitely be spent more uh, productively. But um, I think that it would be a good idea to kind of track how much time is being used where. Um, I would say you still need some time in your life. So don't go in there and cut out everything and, you know, have dreams of a... Studying every second. Perfect 1600 and a 4.0 GPA and studying every second. Eh, I mean, whatever. <laughs> but because studies have shown that they do not get in to the top tier schools. Fair. Very fair. But, you know, don't waste five hours on your phone each night just watching YouTube videos because there are much better ways to spend that time. Sleep is one example if you don't want to study. Yeah, it's great. Um, something we do not do enough here on the Emissions Uncovered podcast. Not even now in the summer. You should also, like, track your sleeping hours. I do that. Yeah, that's my new school year resolution. Get more sleep. Is that even a thing? A new school year resolution. One more productivity tip I'll throw out there, and this is for everybody, including me, uh, is that there is a type of scheduling called Calendar Zero or hyper scheduling, where you schedule literally every second of your day. So when you wake up, you spend like 30 minutes getting ready, 30 minutes eating, an hour commuting, and then you put in your school schedule, and then after school, you put in your commute back home, and then you schedule out the time you spend at home. And so this is like even more type A than the time tracking stuff. Definitely understand. Very. But I, I, I do think it's, I tried using it for a week, uh, but then I just gave up because like it was just too much. I felt really productive that week because when I saw that there was a time block for working on my college essays, I was working on my college essays. And when I saw I had a 30-minute break, I had a 30-minute break. And I think there's all these studies that talk about saving your executive energy or your ability to make choices. Well, hyper-scheduling or Calendar Zero does that. You no longer make choices about what you do. You just look on your calendar and do what's next. So you save that executive decision-making for... What matters, like what you're going to cut out of your college essay or how you are going to approach this group project or whatever. So I do think that Calendar Zero can be effective. Uh, there's a link in the description from someone named David Sparks on his blog, Max Sparky, where he talks about that in terms of technology and Apple devices and how it worked for him. He's a lawyer and a podcaster and a very successful one. So, you know, I think he's a good example of how it works it definitely is a little much, so maybe just try it out, see how it works for you. And if it doesn't work out, you can take some valuable lessons from it, too. Yeah, so the lesson is just that you need to find your own way to manage your time, whether you want to be super type A and use the apps that Michael suggested, or if it's just keeping a planner, or even a few notes on your phone, you just got to find a way to manage your time during junior year. Because a big part that comes up in junior year is standardized testing, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts about the SAT and the ACT. And during junior year is when you, uh, most students start taking them and retaking them. And one piece of advice that I would give about this is uh, most schools or a lot of schools offer a school SAT testing date, and it's usually in March, but I would suggest taking the SAT once before during your first semester, either in October or December or one of those times because you know in March is when AP testing is coming close everyone's starting to do reviews you have to focus on this and that so you won't have as much time to prepare yourself for the SAT but if you take it during first semester where things aren't as hectic you have more time to study and it kind of gives you a baseline on where you're at so that you can know what you need to focus on for the um, school SAT and also it gives you more time to retake the SAT in June or August, whereas if you take it for the first time in March and you don't like it, you have less opportunities to retake it later on because you also <laughs> might want to use that time to take the ACT or also do SAT subject tests, as we've mentioned before. And I think it's really good to take it once first semester. I know that's what I did and what Dominic did. And so, Dominic, do you think it was useful taking it before? Uh, yeah, I think that taking it in December was important because I was able to kind of get my baseline score then. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about the schedule if you wait until your school date at March, 
Uh, something I also did, which was kind of frowned upon uh, by my <laughs> friends at school, is Me. I, yeah, March 7th was our school SAT date. And then March 10th was a uh, another SAT. And what I did is I signed up for uh, both of them. And full transparency here, the March 7th test at school, I got the ex- I got the same exact score that I got on the December one. Oh man. And, and then <laughs> except what I did is based on that March test, I used that test and also additional practicing from that Wednesday to the Saturday and I went up 40 points from that March 7th test to the March 10th test. And that just kind of shows, I mean, obviously I didn't improve 40 points from, you know, those two days in between after I've been prepping for weeks in advance. But I think that it just kind of shows the difference between the tests out there. So don't take the test just one time, I would say, because I felt like those two tests were very different. And for me, the March 10th one was the best one, obviously, for me. But I also just felt the most confident coming out of it. And I think that that helped me. Hopefully... I don't even need the SAT score because of the ACT coming up, but you know I think it was something good. And I have the um, dates pulled up for the SAT, and I just want to kind of talk about that because me was talking about waiting too long and then kind of messing up subject test testing. So if you wait until March, presumably you're not going to do what I did and take it twice in the span of three days. <laughs> Bad idea. But you should not. Hey. It's in the results, Michael. I don't know what you mean. Well, actually, like, I take that back. It's a good idea. Like, why not? You already studied for it, right? Might yeah. as well just take I don't it. Know, just get two opportunities. Yeah. yeah. And especially, most schools are score choice anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but if you wait until March to take it, you've taken it in that March date. You're probably not going to take the test in May because AP you're going to get scores back. It, well, also, you're going to get scores back, like, you know, what is it, a month after, probably? Yeah. Uh, because there's just so many tests that they have to grade for that one. And then the registration date is going to probably end for the May one before you get your scores back or before you get a chance to analyze your scores. And even if you do, you're only going to have like a week to study until you have to make that call of whether you're going to take it again or not. So if you wait until June to take it, probably right on right after APs or end of the summer. For us, I know it was the first Saturday of summer, which was not the way I wanted to spin it, but I had to take my subject test then. Yes. <laughs> if not, then the only other chance to take it is August, because then the only other SAT date is October. And if you're applying early, that I don't think those scores come back. And if they do, it's a big time crunch. But even if you're applying normally, there's five SAT dates in the normal uh, for March for normal application, for normal decision, for regular decision, and only four if you're doing early. And if you're taking the March one, you're probably going to want to retake it at least once. So that's taking out two of them. Plus you need to take subject tests. So that's another SAT date because you can't do that. And then there's one final SAT date left where you can either retake subject tests or take the SAT again on top of not having a conflict, on top of not traveling during the summer, on top of needing to study for APs, on top of doing college application. So I would say if you take that December one or even earlier in November, it's just going to free up your life a lot. I know I did, by doing the December one, I was able to save the May test date, which allowed me to study for APs during that time and not have to worry about subject tests, which I think are far enough different from uh, the actual AP to where you have to put in additional studying because the subject tests to me are just you know specific facts. I know we've talked about this in a podcast before, and you can find that one where we talk about the APs and subject tests, but they're just different enough to where you would have to study separately, and it's just not a good use of time when you need to take those AP tests. So I think that by taking it earlier on in the year, you're going to save yourself a lot of time later on. And one thing to also keep in mind is that if you're thinking about taking a language subject test, they only offer that, the language with listening, in November. And, or the language with listening in November. They do offer languages at other times, depending on the language, but the only time where they offer it with listening is that November test date. And you do not want to be testing your senior year. You have enough going on. So take advantage of junior year. You're like young spring chickens. You know, you have the energy to take a bunch of tests. Take a bunch of tests. There is no better time to do it junior year. You will soon lose that energy. Yeah. (laughs) Sophomore year is too early. Senior year, you're too old, haggard, and you have other stuff going on. Like, you know, planning your retirement from high school. So... Just take it junior year. 
Yeah, especially first semester of junior year is really good because you're not taking any APs. Your classes aren't getting too intense yet because you're just starting out. So why not take a test and make yeah. the second semester much easier? I like how bro- I like how Michael brought up the uh, sophomore year being a little too early to take the test. Um, if we have any uh, younger listeners out there, it is not too early to start prepping. For yes, the test. true. Um, true. Especially, this is something that I want to include in here as uh, something I kind of regret. Not only junior, but also sophomore. Uh, most kids will get a chance to take the a PSAT in their sophomore year and also their junior year. Oh, yeah. Uh, not many kids get a chance freshman year. I know at our school we do, but especially sophomore year, you should be taking the PSAT. So if you are looking to take the PSAT, because that is the same test as the National Merit Qualifying Test, which is also something else that I kind of wish I'd study for a little bit more. If you're trying to get National Merit, starting to study for the SAT sophomore year is going to help you so much because the unlike taking the SAT later on in your junior year, the National Merit slash PSAT test is going to be early in your junior year. And a lot of kids haven't started their prep then, and that's when they kind of start SAT prep. But if you get that jump start on it, you're going to come in and get a great score on that National Merit test. And it's just going to make your life a lot easier. I know that Michael, um, he can kind of speak to the benefits of having National Merit. Oh, for sure. So it unlocks so much potential just state school-wise. People throw money at you. Now, these are colleges I don't want to go to. Uh, because if my safety was UT, everything else fails, I'm going to UT and I'm fine and they'll give me some money, but not as much as schools like OU and Alabama will. But it just makes you feel safe, you know? It gives you a good baseline if you're not auto-admit, if you're not in Texas top 10 or 7% uh, class rank. The other thing about it, though, is that there's no reason not to do well, or at least try to do well on this test, you know? SATs you have multiple chances for. PSAT, there is one chance. One time, junior year. That's it. Okay. So sometimes I I frankly would probably argue that the PSAT is harder than the SAT. Not content-wise, but just because the SAT, you have more chances to rebound and analyze. PSAT, you only get it once. So just study in advance. And when you study for the PSAT, you're also studying for the ACT and the SAT, really. So, So the lesson is just study. It's not that bad. Yeah, I like how I like how Michael talked about these similarities there between the tests. And a lot of people think of the SAT and ACT as separate tests, but in reality, a lot of the test is very similar. For sure. Um, not only in the section types, because you know you do have the extra sections like science, I guess, where you know there is a little bit of that in the reading section, looking at graphs, but it's magnified in the ACT. But also just the structure of questions. They you can only really ask a grammar question one way. So definitely the grammar sections are mm-hmm. very similar. Um, also, by the, the PSAT, although it's a little bit easier than the SAT, the structure is the exact same. Uh, it's literally the exact same test, minus the optional essay, which you should be taking, by the way. Yes. But learning the structure of the test is you know half of the battle. Um, I know a couple of my teachers throughout my uh, school and career have been marathon runners. And something that they'll say if you ask any long-distance runner is by doing your first marathon and then doing your second marathon, you shave off a ton of time just because you've done it once. Um, you know the structure of the race. You know how it goes. You know how you're going to feel. And that knowledge is almost as, as important as the additional test prep that you got between the tests. So I think that by starting to study for those tests earlier on when you have time and it's not taking away from other things as much as it will later on junior year when you're busy studying for APs and it's the busiest time of your high school career so far, and you're trying to do all the extracurriculars, it's just going to be very important. So that was a lot on testing. We talked a lot about it because it's a big, big deal uh, in junior year particularly, because we want to stress that you don't want to be doing it senior year. You just don't. You do not want to be doing it senior year. But now we also want to talk about extracurriculars because those are obviously very important parts, a very important part of your application. It can be a very important part in your narrative and in your college essays. Uh, So one thing I'll say is that you should be continuing extracurriculars from freshman and sophomore year because those are the ones that you built up experience with. Those are the ones that you've done for a long period of time and you want to continue them. It looks really good to have an activity you've done for four years. Yeah, colleges really look for how long you've been doing a club, how committed you are to it. And one thing you shouldn't try to do junior year 
is join a bunch of clubs because you're freaking out that you yes. don't think you have enough clubs, so you're just going to join Amen. random clubs and hope that it looks good on your resume. Because colleges can see right through that. They can see that you just joined it junior year and you haven't done anything freshman or sophomore year. So they're going to be a little skeptical of why you joined it, especially if they're very from very like different, like one is like a science club and then one is photography or something like that. So just make sure that you continue the ones from freshman and sophomore year. And if you happen to have not been able to do a lot of clubs before then, it's still okay. You can still join one or two clubs junior year, but make sure that you really like the clubs that you're joining, that you actually have a passion for it. So when colleges ask you about it, even though you've only been in it one or two years, you can show how passionate you are about club. And that's really what colleges are looking for. They're looking for a dedicated individual that is committed to what they're um doing yeah you just have like you just don't have enough time in junior year to be joining clubs just because you want a resume builder if you like something do it but do it because you like it you know there are things that you can do just because it looks good on your college app and you know it's fine if it works but joining clubs junior year is not that if you're solely focused on the college application do not join new clubs in junior year just because of it. If you like the club, if you're founding a new club that you're actually passionate about, do it. But do it because you like it, not because it's going to look good on some future application, maybe and hopefully. Yeah, you should enjoy these clubs that you're in. Like you should, because you, if you choose to be in them, like you should enjoy them because you can get a lot from your clubs. And I know joining extra kick curriculars really helps me de-stress after, you, never, you don't want to be studying 24 hours you want to do something that's also productive but that you enjoy and on the practical side you're not going to write a good essay if you don't care about something you you just aren't uh, in my opinion at least like there are really really good writers out there but the reason because they're good writers is not because you know they're robots who know how to put words together it's because i think they have a unique ability to express exactly or very closely to what they're what's on their mind and you just can't manufacture passion you can't manufacture interest in an extracurricular activity you just weren't that interested in while you're continuing these clubs from freshman and sophomore year it's also a great time to gain some leadership positions in these clubs if you haven't and even if you have maybe a club that you've been in for a couple years where you've only been a member this might be the year where you can step it up and get a leadership position a lot of clubs aren't too demanding in their leadership positions, but they do show that you took the initiative to take the leadership position. The colleges love to see this because it shows dedication and deep involvement in extracurriculars that you care about. Uh, you kind of have to put yourself in the admission officer's place when you're doing your activities section in the Common App. If in your Common App section for the activities, you write down two clubs where you had you know leadership positions that you did all the time, and then... The other eight spots are clubs that you joined junior or even more senior year and you were just a member and went to like, you know, a weekly meeting for one hour a week and you're putting down one hour a week for eight of them. It shows that, you know, you didn't take advantage of your time in high school and that you only joined these clubs for the purpose of the application because you knew that you had to fill up your slots. So I think it is important to give off um, in whatever way you can to the admissions officers that you are involved deeply in these clubs. And then also do something with these positions um, to where you can create something in the future. It's a lot easier to talk about it under the activities section if you are doing something new in the club, if you're bringing in a new program, if you're starting a new activity in the club to where you can talk about it instead of just saying, oh, I was the treasurer for the science club and, you know, I looked at our $0 budget the entire year <laughs> and that's what I did. But instead, if you took the initiative to have fundraisers or to allocate the money to buy your whole science club shirts or to go on a field trip, that shows that you are taking a leadership position and that's what colleges want. Because you're going to need to describe what you did in the extracurricular activity in the extracurricular section of the Common App. And your description can't just be had fun with science, exclamation mark. <laughs> it needs to be something more specific. And you're not going to get something more specific unless you actually do something. Just the title does not matter. What matters is, is what you have done with that title. And it could be as simple as, you know, going from raising $0 a year to raising $100 a year. 
Something as simple as that. But it needs to be something. Otherwise, it's just a meaningless title. It's a popularity contest. And again, like admissions officers are smart. We know these things are admission. We know these things are popularity contests. They know they're popularity contests too. The only way you make it more than that is if you do something. So do something with your life. True, true. So as we're talking about extracurriculars, looking back at junior year, I think one of the things I regret most was that I let my schoolwork take over too much. So I ended up dropping one or two clubs because I kept telling myself, oh, I'm not going to have time because I have to do this physics homework or I have to do this physics lab or something like that. And I don't think that looking back, that's definitely not the route I wanted to go because I kind of regret not being able to do those extracurriculars. And I think it would have benefited me a lot more if I had stuck with those extracurriculars than focus on doing a homework assignment or something like that. Because to be honest, I still had time left over and I was just kind of underestimating myself when I decided to quit those um, extracurricular activities. I definitely agree with me not to overemphasize school. It matters, but it doesn't matter that much. You know, like moving from a 95 to a 98 is good, but it is not as good as being the president or founder or project leader in some organization. Now, on the flip side, you can also have too much of one extracurricular activity. As many of you know, I am a debater. I love debate. I think it really did change who I am. I think it made me smarter. I think the books I've read through debate have changed my view on the world, but... I spent a whole bunch of time doing debate junior year. I did a lot of travel junior year, and again, it was fun. I liked it, but it prevented me from doing other things. You know, my application wasn't just, I like arguing. It was that we need to turn the type of abstract stuff we talked about debate into action. And so I had some volunteering stuff, but I never did any big political activism. And this was in 2016. There was a huge Democratic primary Texas was a massive state and, you know, Hillary ended up winning it big in the primary, but it was not like Bernie didn't have a presence here. He opened up a whole bunch of campaign offices that I could have volunteered at. I got texts to volunteer at them. I just ignored them because I was either too focused on debate or too burnt out after doing debate. You know, 2016 was the year of Hillary Clinton against Trump. It would have been the perfect time for me to volunteer, but I didn't. And I think that, you know, I'm, Again, like, I'm going to Columbia. I'm not, you know, displeased. Slacking off. (laughs) But I think that if I could do it again, I would have done more. Not just for the college app, but, you know, because... For yourself. I For myself, you know. I don't like Trump. I didn't do my part. What? Okay. I don't... Yeah, I don't... Like, obviously me volunteering doesn't get him out, but at least I said I did something rather than just, like, tweet, you know? Yeah. And follow polls, yeah. So I think Michael's story with debate, um, I have a kind of similar one, except the second half (laughs) is not similar. But um, the first part with debate, uh, I think that is pretty similar with a lot of students out there. So, you know, me was talking about uh, letting school take over. Michael was talking about debate. I think that I kind of let an extra figure take over too. Um, Luckily in mine with scouting, there's a lot of different sections in there that I was involved in. But I think that I kind of caught it halfway through the year and I tried to do some other things and diversify my time. But I think it's very easy to kind of get involved into one extracurricular and focus all of your time into that because obviously you want to be the best. You know, I want to be like the top leadership position. Michael wants to be the best debater in the nation. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, they chase endeavors in their extracurriculars. And then a lot of other things fall off because of that. Now, if you're trying to get to a high level in one activity, that is better than being a basic level member in five different clubs for no reason. But just make sure that you are multifaceted in the um, college application. You know, we had Kevin Bai on the show talking about class rank, and even he said he was too spiked Mm -hmm. in violin. And I think Michael would say he was a little too spiked in debate. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I'm trying not to be too spiked in scouting, but I think it's just a very natural thing uh, where people want to chase one activity, but just make sure that you're keeping uh, control of your extra activities and don't let them take over. And, you know, like to be clear, it's good to be good at one activity. It's good to have a spike, Mm -hmm. but you can't let that cloud everything else. 
you can't let that hide all these other potential opportunities. You know, potentially, if I chose to do the other things, like if I chose to do blogging for politics and volunteer to you know stop Trump or whatever, my debate career might not have been as successful. Um, and these are trade-offs that are hard to think about retroactively with hindsight. But I guess my piece of advice is just to not be so close-minded, to just look at what's out there and make the decision yourself. Don't wait till after your senior year, you get into college and be like, yeah, maybe I should have done something else with my time. Think about it in the moment. All right, moving on to another important thing that we think you should be doing during your junior year is to start looking at colleges. You know, a lot of, I think that our school counselors, especially mine, uh, wanted us to look at schools and kind of had to sit down with us and recommended schools, except, uh, so the, the heart was in the right place, but I don't think it was the best way to start looking at schools. Being given a list of schools to look at is a good start, but I don't think that's what you should be doing. I think a good way to approach college apps and Michael with hindsight, please, you know, interject here. But I think if you just kind of start looking at what programs and what schools and what school life attracts you, uh, there's just so many resources on the internet now about schools that you can pretty much get all the information um, from the internet. And what other information you need, you don't have to go all the way up to the school to figure out. And you don't have to research a random school in the middle of nowhere just to learn about that type of school. You can also attend a bunch of um, information sessions that we've talked about earlier. A lot of schools now form groups of five schools where um, admissions officers or alumni travel around. And then they give these tours of uh, information sessions where they come to you. And those are great resources to take advantage of. So that's that's when I think you should start looking at colleges because if you're waiting during the summer or the end of junior year on top of all the things that we've already talked about, you're just not taking advantage of your time and you're making this process a lot harder um, than what it should be. And then you end up like Michael during winter break. Where okay, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was pretty bad, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, but you don't want it to be pretty bad. Like I'm still here. You want this to be... You want this to be a good process. I think, Michael, I'm pretty sure you would have wanted to avoid it if you knew what would have happened. No, I mean, right? like, I had a bunch of options. Just, you gotta make a judgment call, which is basically applicable to all the advice that we've been giving. We can't tell you what to do, but, you know, what you should do. And we can give you some advice based on our personal experiences, but you really gotta go through it yourself and pick the path that you think it's going to be best for you. It's your application. It's your life. You decide. Another thing regarding colleges that I wish that I had done more junior year was apply to scholarships. There were a lot of um, websites with mini scholarships from $1,000, a few hundred to the bigger ones. And I also know our teachers sent out a bunch of scholarship opportunities, even though they were usually too late within one or two weeks of the deadline, which wasn't really <laughs> useful. But True. My you know, counselor sent me... Uh, okay, so my counselor's great, but once he sent me a scholarship that was past the due date. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least he had good intentions. He, he had great intentions. My counselor is amazing. I just want to put that funny story out there. <laughs> but yeah, there were a lot of scholarships that I wish I applied to, but I just never got around to doing it, I guess, which mm, you shouldn't do because... You know, college, the financial burden, and if you have scholarships, even though if they're small, they can still help you. Any extra money is good, so make sure you look out for that. There are a lot of, uh, you can just Google a bunch of scholarships and just apply to the ones you like. And plus, yep. scholarships fit perfectly under the honors section right. in the common application. A lot of people get honors and awards from extracurricular activities, which fits better under the activity section, but I know right now I'm having kind of a hard time thinking about which ones I would like to place in the honors section because you do get five chances to list honors there and it'd be kind of a waste to only list three or four True. right because you have that space so these scholarships are a perfect way to fill that up and especially if they're in your interest you know um, thinking towards college if you want to major in economics you want to do business if you do a business competition and you get a scholarship or an award in that that would be a great place to put it in the uh, honor section and show that interest for your studies outside of class. And also some of these quote unquote scholarships 
give the money directly to you. And so if you're in your junior year and you're not paying for college two years, that's just money in your pocket. Now, don't spend it on the new Apple Watch, but (laughs) it gives you just some award money. I don't I don't actually think a lot of these like essay contests are meant only for college. It's just award money, I think, especially if they're not sending it directly to the school. So keep that in mind. The other thing we I want the other thing I wanted to mention as something that I wished I did uh, was reach out to professors, researchers, etc. at schools that I wanted to go to for connections if I make it onto campus, but also just to show some interest in the school and maybe uh, add some color to my why school essay. You know, if I had been in contact with, for example, you know, Sayla Benabib at Yale University, I, I wrote about her in the why Yale part of the application, but I just mentioned how she impacted me by her book. And so if I had actually done the legwork to reach out to her, email her, talk to her, ask questions, (coughs) I just choked on my own breath, Um, (laughs) and done that type of legwork and put that in my application that I was already in conversations with Yale professor Salem Benabib, I think it could have helped the application. And again, like, from one perspective, you might say, oh, this is just another kid trying to get a leg up for college applications. But it's not. It, you're not doing this just for college applications. It can help your, with your college applications, but it's also for you. Like, do you think, reach out to professors of the area you're interested in. Read research that they're doing because you're interested in it. And if you're not interested in it, find something that you are interested in. So it's not just for the college app. It's also for you too. And again, like sometimes these professors will actually pitch for you if you have a strong enough connection. Like I know one kid who got into Swarthmore that way. He might have gotten in independently, but, you know, a professor vouching for you saying that they want to do research with you never hurts at all. (laughs) One thing I one thing I will say is that I have reached out to professors sometimes. Sometimes they don't respond. Don't be hurt. Um, They're busy people or um, sometimes they just don't want to email high school kids, which is fine. There are plenty of professors out there um, that can teach you a whole bunch. So don't feel bad about that. Final thing I'll say uh, is that there is a, there's a story. <laughs> I don't know if I should say it because I might be going to school with this kid, but hopefully he doesn't listen to this <laughs> podcast. Um, at Columbia's Days on Campus, we had a lecture with one of the big professors in charge of the Columbia Corps, which, you know, the he was kind of pitching it, talking about why we should be reading all these ancient books by dead white guys. Um, and, you know, I was kind of compelled. I, I'm going to Columbia, so I guess I was sufficiently compelled. But this kid in the audience decided to ask this five-minute question about civic engagement. And it wasn't just a question, it was also a comment. You know, it was like, I think civic engagement is so very important. Ta 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 ta. Oh, these young people not engaged oh in politics. Ta 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 ta. And if you were there, you'd also look at me and be like, "This kid is obnoxious." But of course, everybody's like, "Oh, this kid is so smart for having this long preamble that is standard Twitter complaining." Rant. You know? Yeah, and so like it bugged me. Clearly, won him some applause. But I think the professor was a little bit peeved off by that. So the lesson to learn from that, I think, is to recognize your place. You can enter in a conversation with these people, these professors, but you're not peers with them, especially if you're like a high schooler, not even in the college yet. Um, So obviously, I don't know what was going through the kid's mind. Um, I think he's a nice guy. I don't think this defines him as a person. I don't know how the professor was really feeling. I'm not in their minds, but it was just a situation I observed. I had a few laughs about it. I make jokes about him constantly. So don't be that person. I think he's going to be your uh, roommate, Michael. Right. I I was just about to say that. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I feel it. I feel it. Oh my God. I hope he isn't going to Columbia. I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. So similar to what Michael was talking about, reaching out to professors at um, potential colleges that you want to go to, you should also make sure that you get to know the teachers at your high school a lot better. Like this is the year where you've been here two years. You've had, you probably have had most of the teachers if you go to like a small school like we do. And you should really start getting to know them not only in class, but also um, outside of class, maybe through a club that they sponsor or something like that. Because you got to keep in mind that they're going to be the ones writing rec letters for you. And they can't write a letter about someone who they just know as the kid that sits in the back of the class and does their work or something like that. 
I mean, they so, can write an essay. It just won't be very compelling. Yeah. Uh, would advise against that. But yeah, just, I mean, don't go to, don't be too obsessive about it and try to become like their best friend, obviously, just because you want a rec letter or something like that. But you should talk to your teachers. They, they could be interesting. You never know. And like, you, and you can also talk to teachers outside of class after school, not in a school context or a club context. Just go up and ask them a question or ask them for help. I, I've done that before. I, I actually have great relationships with some of my high school teachers and they're really meaningful just outside of high school too. So, you know, keep an open mind. Finally, I just wanted to mention as a logistical note that this is a good time to be thinking about technology. You're going to be using your computers a whole bunch to apply to schools, to write essays, to research. So you want to know, and I know this sounds dumb, but you're going to thank me when your essays are not gone, okay? Remember where you are saving your essays, how you're writing them, but also how you are backing them up. It's possible. Computers still fail. If you have them only on one computer, you lose that computer. It breaks. The hard drive fails then you're stuck. So make sure you're backing this up. And with like all the other stuff I mentioned in this podcast about productivity and now backing up, I am a type A person, just who I we am. Can tell. But even if you're a type C person or a type H person or a type Z person, you still should back up your stuff because if you lose it, you're not going to be happy. I know you think this won't happen, but you might not believe me on the story, but somebody at our school, or when we're seniors at our school, um, Except for this year, which I'm so happy because I'm about to be senior. But we had to do a senior thesis all the whole year. So you would come up with a thesis and you research it and you get this big presentation at the end of the year. And that would be like your last thing as a senior and then you'd be done. And it'd be a your grade for that entire semester and it was a big deal, right? This one girl who was always on her laptop in class, you know, this is kind of a side note, but just always on the laptop, especially just because you have these laptops, do not get distracted with these tools. They are tools to use with your education. Do not use it to, you know, get distracted from class or not to your work. But the day before her thesis presentation, the MacBook quit. Like nice, it, nice, oh my nice. The entire thesis presentation was on there. It was gone. Thank you, Mac. I don't know what happened to her, but <laughs> did she not have it on like a flash drive or anything, or like Google no, Drive? Nope. See, people don't nope, think about these gone. things. Oh, it's gone. You, you would think it doesn't happen, but it does, and you don't want to be that person. What'd she do? Um, especially, you know, most people. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you know that teacher. He probably didn't take any excuses. But dang, um, I, I don't know what happened. But we'll see if she's back again next year. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But yeah, um, one other comment I have on digital life. You, you might think that with you know social media, this is just something to be thinking about for the future. But what you do on social media is always going to be there, right? Do not throw away a college acceptance with social media. When these admissions officers are, are looking at your application, they might randomly look you up on the internet just to see what comes up. If some bad stuff comes up, it's not going to be good for your acceptance. But even when you are accepted to a school, and this is even more critical because this stuff happens a lot, when s students are accepted to a school and that May 1st deadline passes, so all the other schools retract their offer, mm -hmm. and you're mm -hmm. only going to this one school. For example, I know this happened, and I'll link the article down below. Harvard students. Yeah. These kids are going to Harvard. They got accepted to Harvard. This is like two years ago. These kids were in a chat room that was put together, I think it was on Facebook, for incoming Harvard freshmen. And there were a few kids in there that were saying some, you know, not so good comments. To be clear, they were racial slurs. They were very bad. Yeah, yeah. They were they were they were bad. Um we, we don't want to undermine yeah. it, but just in general, if you don't if you do bad things on the internet, no matter what it is, it can come back to bite you. And these kids had their acceptances retracted from Harvard. Not only are they not going to Harvard, right? You got accepted into Harvard. But think of how sad that is, right? You did all this work. You did your common app. You got accepted to Harvard with like one of the lowest acceptance rates ever. You're a top tier student. And then it gets thrown away because you did something stupid online after you got accepted. But not only are, can they not go to Harvard, but all the other top tier Ivy League schools that they got accepted to and all their financial aid packages – those expired. They're gone. They did this during the summer. 
May 1st, all those were gone. These kids lost their Harvard application. Now they got to go to like community college or beg a rolling admission school to <laughs> maybe get an application in after the deadline. But let's say this happens in July when you're going into school. You're, you're stuck at community college. Think of that. You're going from Harvard to community college because of something stupid you did online. We know that this is extreme, but it does happen. And we don't want this happening to anybody who listens to this podcast. So just make sure that with your digital life, you're keeping things in order and you're also keeping track of the footprint that you need. Well, I mean, if you're a racist, um, go ahead and post something racist online and you'll not go to school and I'll be happy with that. Don't be a bad person. Don't be a racist. <laughs> Done. It's so easy. But it's also, it's like on a more serious note, there is definitely a risk reward calculation here. What is the risk of you making your social media profiles private? Or are you being careful about not posting you like drunk at a frat party when you're underage? There, there's no risk to it. There is no harm to it. There's no disadvantage to it. The upside is the ability to rest assured that the reason why you don't get into a school will not be your social media presence. Unless you guys can think of a compelling reason why it's important for the world to see you partying at a frat party, I don't see why it's not a good idea just to make things private. You can do that in college. Someone is going to screenshot that Snapchat. Somebody's going to screenshot it and it's going to come back up later on. And it might show up at your high school and you could get kicked out of the high school and then you wouldn't graduate. You and go. without a college diploma, and without a high school diploma, you can't go to college. We sound like old people here, but yeah, it's like, but no. we've seen it happen. It's you have plenty of time in college to do dumb stuff. So, you know, save it for college. Or just not at all. But if you have to, <laughs> later on. Or just do it without taking Posting it. pictures of yourself. Just, 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 yeah. just risk reward disadvantage advantage it out for yourself the re is if there if there is a compelling reason for you to be doing things that you shouldn't be doing and saying racist things Mm -hmm. on video for some reason it better be good and if it's good you should come share it with us in the comments down below please put that in the comments i (laughs) do i do i I could list off like so many kids i know have gotten especially recently i've gotten like kicked out of high schools like off off recording michael i can go down a list <laughs> if you don't believe me but like so many kids like you know videos that went around of them saying like bad things stuff in their backpacks oh my god one of a local high school now, uh jesuit college prep oh they have been plagued with i almost went there too is between tag and that and this is the great one of the greatest decisions i ever made <laughs> going to tag versus Jesuit. But if they have been plagued with kids um, caught vaping at school, oh my God. these kids think it's cool. But if a school has a zero tolerance policy on that, these kids get kicked out and it goes on their transcripts that they were kicked out of the school. How do you think that looks to a college? Or anybody, like, like an, yeah. to McDonald's. How does it look to McDonald's? You can't even graduate high school. And you're like a rich kid going to Jesuit. You have no excuse. Yeah, and a lot of these, a lot of these kids are you know, sophomores or early juniors, they don't think about the future consequences of this, but not even technology, but just make sure that you're not getting in trouble with something that can jeopardize not only college or your high school, but also just the future of your life because you're way too young to mess it up for no reason. Again, we sound old, but it's... Yeah, but we're, we're just looking at, we've seen this happen. I've had personal friends who this happens to, and I just kind of look at them and I'm like, what were you thinking, man? Like, there's just no what reason. Are you doing? There's just no reason. I promise we're fun. <laughs>